Covenant Church. As Jonah said, my name is Tommy, and I consider it a huge honor to be here with you guys today. He already said I have the privilege of being one of the pastors over at Charity Baptist here in Kannapolis, and so we are trying to reach the same group of people, and so I consider you guys extended family. And over the years, we have partnered in a lot of ministry together, and um, he said something about y'all students, access. Um, and their participation this week in a transformation conference that was happening over at Charity. And I got to tell you, I was blown away at how many students you guys sent. There were, I think, 50 students from Access at this conference. And so hopefully you parents have had a uh, nice kid-free weekend. Maybe you used uh, kid-free weekend to implement some of the things that Pastor Brian has taught you over the last few weeks. Um, but just to tell you a little bit about myself, I've known Brian and Quentin and Jonah for over a decade now. I had the privilege of working side by side with them in ministry, in the trenches, getting dirty for, for several years. And um, I just love their heart for ministry. I love the fact that they're not afraid to take on tough subjects like we are in this series between the sheets. I have uh, been married to my beautiful bride, Leah, for almost 24 years. Was the, the greatest thing I ever did is ask her to marry me when she was still young and didn't know any better and uh, put a ring on her finger and lock that down. Uh, now she's stuck. And so I love that. And we have raised two amazing daughters. Both are grown now, Denise and Hannah, the greatest privilege of our lives. They're married. I feel like with our son-in-laws, we picked up two sons. We could not have better son-in-laws, Luke and Seth. And part of that, I think, I threatened them very, very well. You laugh, I'm being serious. I looked at both of them and I said, listen, do not give me a reason to start a prison ministry because I will. I will. People in prison need Jesus too. And so these guys are unbelievable. It's like our family has just grown. So as of last October, we officially became empty nesters. That has been wild. If I'm being honest, it took Leah a little bit longer to adjust to being an empty nester than it did me, but she has come around. And I believe one of the reasons that we are enjoying empty nesting is because we took time over the 24 years of marriage to invest in one another. And so when our kids moved out, well, it was just best friends stuck with one another. So we're having a good time together. And then as of last August, we became grandparents, which that's the greatest thing ever. Now, all y'all have always said that. And I'm like, ah, I mean, raising kids is pretty cool. Y'all weren't lying. Being grandparents is amazing. So she's Lolly, I'm Pops. Put them together, Lollipop. I had nothing to do with that. She told me that is what we're going to be, and I said, yes, ma'am. And so Hadley is our granddaughter. I am just a girl dad through and through. Two daughters, now a granddaughter. We never figured out how to have boys. But um, listen, I love being married. I think marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. And so I'm so excited about this series. Pastor Brian called me a couple months ago and he asked me, he said, hey, would you be willing to teach for me when I'm out of town? And my response was, if my schedule allows it, absolutely. 
The answer is always going to be yes, if my schedule allows it. And so I went and talked to Pastor Marty, the senior pastor, and we're looking at the calendar. And while I'm looking at the calendar, Brian texts back and he says, hey, just a heads up, the series is on sex and you're the first person I thought of. <laughs> I thought, I don't even know how to take that, but I like that. I, actually, at charity, I'm referred to often as the sex pastor. And um, I'm cool with that too because this is a very, very important part of a marriage relationship. I've done enough marriage counseling over the last decade plus, and I have been married to my bride long enough to know this truth right here, that when sex is fulfilling and mutually pleasurable, it enhances all of marriage. However, when it's subpar, or if something just seems like it's off, it ironically becomes way too big a part of the marriage. And so I encourage you, if you've missed out on any of the weeks that Pastor Brian has taught up to this point, go back and listen to the podcast. He's talked about why God created sex. I mean, what was the reason that he created sex? And he gave a list of reasons and he talked about what women want and he talks about why men want it. And I've had a blast listening to the messages. That's one thing I love about Brian. He just doesn't hold back. I'm listening to the messages and I'm thinking, man, he has just opened the door to let me say whatever I want to say. I'm going to try to behave today and I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself. But again, just having a series like this speaks loud and clear to the fact that this church, Fusion City, wants you guys to have healthy marriages. He wants you to have godly marriages. And so let's just start the best way I know how through prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, thank you for every single person in this room today. God, who obviously is wanting to strengthen their marriage or God, they're not married yet, but they're looking to learn, to lay the right foundation of the how to have a healthy marriage. God, I pray that you'll speak through me today. Allow it to be your words, not my own. Allow the scriptures to come alive have your way. And I pray that you'll soften hearts and open ears, Lord, to hear what your word has to say and that every single person in this room leaves different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that this subject is very taboo in church. And I think that when my eyes were open to that, it was actually probably about 10 or 12 years ago, and I was preaching for Pastor Brian, and he was doing a series at that time called God Love sex. And I remember I was standing at the door and I never really thought about it. I just assumed, I mean, it's part of marriage. God created it. Culture screams it. Why wouldn't we learn about it in church? But we're sitting there at the door and I remember they handed a program to this lady as she was walking in. She was walking in with her grown son. The lady received the program, looked down and went, yeah, I don't think so handed the program back, turned around, and walked away. And I thought, what just happened? What just happened? People don't want to talk about sex in church, which is a shame because our culture screams it. It's the number one thing that advertisers use to sell their product. You can't escape it. And while it's taboo to talk about, Here's the cool thing. The Bible has a lot to say on the subject. 
a whole lot to say on the subject. In fact, the Apostle Paul, and if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, really, really amazing story. This guy hated Christians. He hated people like you and me. In fact, he spent his life persecuting Christians, having them arrested. He was there for the very first martyr when Stephen was murdered. I mean, he despised Christians until one day he had a radical encounter with Jesus. His life was flipped on its head and then he became the greatest missionary to ever live. That's Paul. And Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, which was a completely jacked up church, a completely jacked up city. Just think of like Las Vegas of its day. And Paul writes and he tells them that your body doesn't belong to you, your spouse's body doesn't belong to them. Brian has covered that in this series. And then he says this, do not deprive each other, speaking of husbands and wives, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you may give yourselves more completely to prayer. And I know I'm speaking to a room full of church people. And so I know that you don't need to hear that, that anytime you and your spouse are not together intimately, it's because you're on your knees praying. I get that. But he goes on and he says, afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, so he's saying, this is an important part of a marriage relationship. And I wanna be real clear on that. A marriage relationship, any sexual activity outside of a marriage, which is between a man and a woman, any sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. But if you're married, Paul says this needs to be a part of it. And so I wanna give you my bottom line today and then I just wanna spend the rest of our time fleshing it out. As Brian already discussed, God gifted it, that is sex. God gifted it. Culture has absolutely corrupted it. And it's time for you and me to reclaim it and make it what God intended it to be. God created it and I'm so grateful he did. Our culture has completely jacked it up and twisted it and perverted it. And it's time for you and me, those who are married to reclaim it and make it what God intended it to be. And here is where I believe the problem lies. I believe that as far as where we get our view of what sex is supposed to be like, we fall into one of two camps. If you're my age or older, you probably fell into the camp of you grew up your whole life here and sex is bad, it's bad, 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 it's dirty. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then on your wedding day, you stand before a pastor, you say, I do, I do. And somehow, even though you've heard it's bad and dirty and stay away from it, you're supposed to be able to just go and flip a switch and then as husband and wife, enjoy it to its fullest the way God intended it to be. That's difficult. I do think that us guys probably have an easier time flipping that switch and being like, okay, than you ladies who grow up hearing no, 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 and then now go and do that. Maybe you grew up in that camp. Or if you're younger than me and you're the next generation, chances are you grew up and you have had your idea of what sex is supposed to be like and it's been formed by culture and movies or pornography 
And that is definitely twisted. It's twisted. It gives a twisted view of what it's supposed to be like. Now, I know that you guys would never watch movies with that kind of stuff in it. But let's just say hypothetically that you were just flipping channels and you happen to come across it at that moment in the movie when it's in that scene and you're like, oh my gosh. Have you ever noticed that everything just seems to go so perfect in the movies? Everything's just so natural. Clothes just fall right off. Can we just agree if you've been married more than five minutes, that is not reality. I mean, there are times where, you know, you're about to be husband and wife and you're like, babe, I think I need to pee real quick, right? And so you're like, I'll be right back. And you jump up and then you stub your toe on the side of the bed and you face plant on the floor, hashtag married life. You laugh because I'm not the only one that's happened to. Or maybe there's times where you're like, babe, the kids are gonna be home in like 10 minutes. We gotta do this quick. And you're like, no problem, I'm game. And so you're trying to get undressed and your foot gets caught in your pants and you face plant on the floor, hashtag married life. These things happen. As I was studying for this message and, and looking at some statistics, I came across some scary statistics. You know that pornography, every single day in this country, is searched on the internet more than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Or that the pornography industry makes more money every single year than Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and the NHL combined. And so while people don't want to talk about this subject in church, it is corrupting our culture and what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. Now, the good news for you today is I have not brought any graphs or pictures. I'm gonna let the, t the scripture teach and speak for itself. And so we're gonna go to a book in the Bible because here's the truth. God wants for you and your spouse to have an amazing sex life. That's a cool thing. There's an entire book in the Bible dedicated to this subject. And this book is called The Song of Songs. And before we jump into the scripture and the text, I want you to just consider the title of this book alone. The Song of Songs. Something of something. That's a powerful, poetic, ancient phrasing that leads us to an astonishing conclusion when we understand what it's saying, right? Something of something. We describe Jesus, we just sang about it as the king of kings. But have you ever thought about what that means, that Jesus is the king of kings? It, it means that he's not just the strongest of kings, and he's not just the wisest of kings, and he's not just the mightiest of kings. It goes well beyond that. It means that if you put every king in the entire universe together, Jesus would still be the king of those kings. Amen? He is so much greater. He is different in kind. He is infinitely beyond comparison when he's described as king of kings. Well, the title of this book is The Song of Songs, Something of Something. And so when describing a sexual relationship between a man and a woman as the Song of Songs, the Bible doesn't just call this physical action merely a powerful human experience or the most pleasurable 
human experience or the most celebrated human experience. In its title alone, it is called the experience above all other experiences. And so I was thinking about Song of Songs that's found in the Old Testament. There were a lot of cool songs in the Old Testament. Think about some of the songs that could have been given this title. The Song of Israel celebrating the deliverance when God parted the Red Sea and they crossed safely in Exodus. The Song of Deborah celebrating victory after God delivered the Israelites from the Canaanites and Judges. The Song of Samuel's mother celebrating parenthood after the dedication of her promised son. The Song of David celebrating success after he defeated Goliath. All of these are songs that we see in Scripture. So we see a nation delivered, enemies defeated, a child conceived, victory won, and yet none of these songs were given the title Song of Songs. And so before the writer of this book, Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived other than Jesus himself, before he utters a single word of instruction, his title alone to his book preaches a powerful sermon on God's view of sex. And then you start reading. And again, we have a twisted view of what it's supposed to look like. It's all about the guy. It's all about the guy. No, it's not. You start reading the Song of Songs and you just get to verse two and you realize it's not all about the guy. The very first person that's pleased in this is the, the wife. So you just start reading chapter one, verse two. The wife says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. It's a beautiful verse, but I believe that it's one of those verses if you're just doing your daily devotion and you start reading, that's one that you could just skim over and be like, that's cute and not grasp what's happening. I want you to think about what it was like to be a woman thousands of years ago in antiquity in the Middle East. The luxuries and the entertainment, the things that we take for granted were not available. They were denied to a woman back then. She couldn't stop at a Starbucks on her way into work and get a caramel macchiato or whatever it is that you stop and you get. She didn't have a comfortable bed to sleep on at night. She slept either on a mat or some kind of cot at best. There was no air conditioning in the middle of the day, in the middle of the desert. All of the things that we take for granted were not available to a woman back then. She didn't have the fine linens that we do, cashmere and things like that. Everything that we take for granted was denied to them except for one thing, and that was wine. To a woman back then in the Middle East, the finest luxury that she could have was wine. Except for this woman, it was the finest thing except for intimacy with a generous, creative, and thoughtful husband. So that's a big deal when she makes that statement. That's a verse that we can't just skim over. So verse two presents quite a picture for wives. And then just fast forward a few other verses to verse nine. And now we get a glimpse into the way a husband views this. And I love this verse. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Again, that's one of those verses you're like, that's pretty cool. I don't know what it means, but that's cool. I'm gonna keep reading. Man, there is so much more to that verse. You know, we have ways of 
We got maybe some gearheads in this room. You got ways of like upping the horsepower on your cars nowadays. Well, this was the way that they would up the horsepower back in the day. If you do some research and you realize what that verse means, they only use the strongest of stallions to pull the, ch the chariot of the Pharaoh. That makes sense. But what they discovered is even though these were the elite athletes of the day, these were the, the prized stallions, that if you would bring a mare and put it into the mix, it would drive those stallions crazy. It would get them all worked up in a way that they would perform at a whole different level. And so when the husband says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, what he's saying is, when I look at you, you drive me crazy in all the right ways. Your love is intoxicating to me. And so we get this beautiful picture of how a husband and wife should glimpse each other. We see that a wife should prefer her husband over the finest luxuries available to her and that she should drive her husband wild in ways that nothing else can. And so how do we achieve this? Well, today we are gonna get a glimpse into the wedding chamber. Song of Songs chapter four, it's the wedding day. We get basically a camera right into the bedroom chamber. And men particularly, I'm just gonna tell you, take some notes, lean in, because today we are gonna see how you can have some game when it comes to your wife. Because Solomon was not just the king of Israel, he was the king of game. And we see right out of the gate, verse one, chapter four, Solomon says this, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. He says, your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Isn't that sexy? He said, baby, you got goat hair. Okay, probably the vernacular they used back then is a little different than we would today. But I want you to think about what's happening. They're standing there face to face and, and she's letting her hair down. So instead of getting caught up in the whole goat hair thing, I just want you to picture right now any shampoo commercial you've ever seen. And the hair's just dropping, right? But he's not done. He's talking to her and he's gonna work his way down. He's starting at the head and he's working his way down. And, and I read that and it is funny and it makes me chuckle. And there are guys and they're like, I'm like, y'all need to learn how to talk to your wives. And like, man, I wish I was, I wish I had a way with words like you. And, and I, I would like to do that, but I, I don't know what to say to her. I've heard Brian say before, bro, he just called her hair goat hair. Give it a shot. So men, give it a shot. Ladies, if your man is giving it a shot, he's stepping out of his comfort zone. He's trying to be romantic. He steps on himself and he says, you got goat hair. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. He's trying, but he's not done. He's going to keep working his way down. He says, baby, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. He said, baby, you got goat hair and sheep teeth. <laughs> I tried this on Leah a couple weeks ago. It did not work. I'm just saying. 
I was laying in bed. I was getting ready to go to bed. She came back to give me a kiss and she leaned down and she went to give me a kiss. I said, baby, you got sheep teeth. She said, what'd you say to me? I said, I was just trying it. And um, so come up with some things to say other than goat hair and sheep teeth. But what does he say? He says, it looks like they just came up from washing. She had clean teeth. Guys, girls, we can all listen to that. Brush your teeth. Get those stains off your teeth. Clean teeth, that's a good thing. And he says, and they all bear twins, meaning you got all your teeth. And I would assume that that was a big deal, especially back then, before modern dentistry. She got pretty teeth and she's got all of them. But here's the important thing. This is what I want us not to miss. What is the facial expression of a woman when you can see all her teeth? She's smiling. She's excited about what's happening. She's excited about what's happening. When he's talking about her teeth, he's standing face to face with his wife and she's, she is a willing participant. She is smiling at her husband. He goes on and he says, your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. And he says, your neck is like the tower of David built on rows of stone. Baby, you got a big old neck. <laughs> Maybe don't try that either. You got goat hair, sheep teeth, and you got a big old neck. Woo! This guy had to have game, right? But again, what is he saying? Think about the tower of David. What does it represent? It represents strength. And that's important if you read all of the Song of Songs. So she's standing there confidently in front of her man to where he compares her neck to the Tower of David. I promise that was a huge compliment. And what's so fascinating about that is this is the same woman at the beginning of Song of Songs who was like, don't look at me. I have dark skin. And she was embarrassed by her complexion. Now, I know you and me, we spend a lot of time throwing on the baby oil, right? Trying to get nice tans. When Lee and I were like in our early 20s and we were first married, we would literally sit at the pool and bake in baby oil, like morons, right? Or this time of year where it's cold outside, you spend lots of money to get that fake tan in the tanning bed. We want a tan. It makes us look better. That was not the case back then. If you had a tan, that, mean, that meant that you were not of high class. That meant you were out in the fields working and your sun had been damaged or your skin had been damaged by the sun. So this is the same woman who said, don't look at me, don't look at me. She was embarrassed by her complexion. Now, because of the way her husband's speaking into her and building her up, she's standing there so confidently before him that he says, your neck is like the Tower of David. He keeps working his way down and he says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. That's a beautiful picture. Now, there's a lot to take from that one verse right there. Let me tell you what I'm not. I am not a hunter. I've been hunting one time in my life and it was one of the most boring, cold, miserable experiences of my life. I saw nothing. I didn't even see a squirrel. I said, I told my dad, if I would have seen a squirrel, I would have turned it to pink mist. I saw nothing. 
right? The guys I'm with are squirting themselves with deer pee or something. I'm like, y'all are weird. So I'm not a hunter, but I do know this much about hunting. When we were walking through the woods, going to the tree stand, you know how we did it? Quietly, gently. Because if you just go running and screaming through the woods, what are the little baby fawns going to do? They're going to jump up, they're going to scream, and they're going to go run and hide. Men, we don't want those beautiful fawns jumping up, screaming, and going and hiding. And so Solomon's saying, gentle, gentleness is your friend. This is in the Bible, friends. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. But, but what he's saying is so important. We need to approach our wives gently if we want them to be responsive. He keeps going, verse six. He says, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense until the day breathes and the shadows flee. What is he saying here? When I read this, I'm thinking, he's not saying anything. He's singing to his girl all night long, all night. Now this is his wedding night. And so I read that and I kind of chuckle and I'm like, if they've behaved themselves, he just said, baby, you're getting it all night long. And I wonder like three and a half minutes later, she was like, what are we going to do now? But that's what he's saying to her. Baby, we are going to be together all night long. And he says, verse seven, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. This might be the most beautiful verse in this entire chapter. I mean, he says, there's no flaw in you. Do you think that's true? You think she's the first woman ever born that was perfect? Clearly not. I just told you at the beginning of Song of Songs, this is the same woman who was ashamed of the way she looked. She said, don't look at me. She was embarrassed by her complexion. And now he's looking at her saying, baby, there is no flaw in you. So what's happening? He is saying to his wife that he, there is a standard of perfection and he's looking at it. Men, can I tell you something? Your standard of beauty should be the one you're married to. My standard of perfection has a name and her name is Leah. She is the most beautiful woman walking this earth in my eyes. And the same should be true for you. And this is why it's so important that we don't flood our mind with images that culture is constantly throwing our ways, trying to tell us what a standard of perfection is. Can I tell you, most of the images you're looking at aren't real. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be a woman today trying to live up to a standard of airbrushing and other things. And so speak into your wife as often as you can and tell her, there is no flaw in you, babe. When I think of what beauty is, it's you. It's you. That's what he's saying to his bride. And then he says, this is so important. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. 
Depart from the peaks of Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and Hermon, from the den of lions, from the mountain of leopards. So what is he saying in that verse right there? He's saying to his wife, you are safe with me. Come away with me because you are safe. And can I just shout this from the rooftops? The marriage bed has got to be a place of safety. It has to be a place of safety. I believe that one of our deepest desires as individuals, and and Brian's alluded to this along the way in this series, is to be fully known by somebody and also to fully know somebody. And that is never going to happen unless you are completely vulnerable with one another and completely safe with one another. But when you are, that is a beautiful thing. There is nobody on this earth that knows me better than Leah. And there is nobody that knows Leah better than I know her. And so the marriage bed has to be a safe place. Has to be a safe place. It has to be a safe place. And I want to point out something that's really, really cool. Guys, please take note. We've just worked through the first eight verses of their wedding night. I mean, if you're like me, I mean, Leah's the only person I, I've ever been with. She's the only brand I know. I love it. But on my wedding day, I could not care less about a wedding reception. I was like, can we just go? And she was like, easy killer, right? We got the rest of our lives. I'm like, all right. This is his wedding night, and he hasn't even touched her one time. He is not touched her one time. And we, again, can learn a lot from this, guys. If we come home from work and we just plop our butts in the, in the lazy boy recliner and we just kick back and we expect our wives to come home from their day at work or they're working at home and we expect them to do the homework with the kids and we expect them to bathe the kids and get dinner ready. And then for some reason, we just think they're going to come down the hallway or down the stairs tearing their clothes off because they want us so bad. It doesn't work that way. And so he's just building her up and building her up and building her up and speaking into her. He has not touched her one time. And he goes on and he says, you've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Don't get twisted on that word sister, right? If you belong to Christ and you're a female in here, you're my sister. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? He says, you've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Now, what's so fascinating here is we get a glimpse into how biblical intimacy works in the context of marriage. The word he uses here for love is the word in Hebrew, the word dad. Now, this is the same word in the Greek, eros, which is where for love, that we would get the word erotic. And so he's speaking specifically to Intimate love, love making. Here's what's cool. The same word he uses there, Dodd, is the same word that the wife, if you fast forward to chapter seven, it's the same word that she uses to her husband. Now this is 
fast forward years down the line. She's had a couple of kids. Her body doesn't look the same as it used to. She's got battle wounds on, on her. Gravity's taking hold on him, right? He's got Dunlap disease. His belly done lapped over his belt. He hasn't seen his waistline in years. And yet it's the same word that she says when she looks at him and says, I want to give you my dad. That's a beautiful glimpse into biblical intimacy. That sexual intimacy and fulfillment is not just for newlyweds. It is not just for young people. That it just gets better and better and better over time. My parents just celebrated 50 years of marriage this month. And I'm so excited for them. And they went away on a cruise and they started talking. They're like a couple teenagers still dating. And I love it. It's an amazing example. But they started talking about some stuff and I'm like, hey, I'm happy for you. Right? I'm, I don't need to know that. But you know what? That excites me. They've been married 50 years and they still can't keep their hands off of each other. I'm the kid and I'm like, get a room. You're freaks. Right? <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's a biblical view of Dodd. It's the same word he uses on the wedding night. And it's the same word that the wife uses to him years down the road. And of course, it only gets better and better because you get to know each other better and better and better. He goes on and he says, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Verse 11, honey and milk are under your tongue. Oh, I guess they're touching now. All right, we get a lot of credit to the French. This isn't French kissing. This is Hebrew kissing. They're like, baby, I like the underside of your tongue. So now they're getting to it. Verse 12, I love this. This is so important in marriage. He says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Friends, please understand this truth, that it is the exclusivity of sex within marriage that sets it apart and makes it, feel, and, and makes it so special. It's the exclusivity of your marriage. The only way it can be a safe place, the only way that you can be completely vulnerable with your spouse is when they're the only one. When they're forming your opinion of what beauty is, when they're setting that standard, when they know they're the only one and it is a safe place, it's the exclusivity of our marriage that sets it apart. And so far, this is their wedding night. So far, Solomon's the one doing all the talking. That's about to change. As you skip down to verse 16, now we see the wife. Maybe you're wondering how will a wife respond if you spend all your time building her up, building her up, building her up, telling her she's a standard of perfection, speaking into her. We see how she responds in verse 16. She says, awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. What's she saying there? She's saying, let's get it on. This is her time to sing back to him. Here's what's fascinating. Like, if you read through the whole first three chapters, there are times where they're tempted before their wedding night. 
And like typical relationships, it's the woman that's trying to push things a little prematurely. It's always you ladies, right? Y'all are the ones saying, oh, it's okay. We're married in our heart. No, but in this case it was. And he was like, don't awaken it until it's time. Don't awaken it. Don't awaken it. Don't awaken it. It's their wedding night. He was like, you can awaken it. And she was like, wake up. Wake up. But she wasn't done. She says, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I'm not going to elaborate on, that me- on what that means because it means exactly what you think it means. But I love this. She's a very willing participant this entire time. But he has done what he needs to do to get her to that point. So then they consummate their marriage in chapter four. You keep reading in chapter five, in the very first verse of chapter five, you see this. Eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Most theologians believe that this is the only time that God speaks in the Song of Songs. But this is after they've consummated their marriage and God speaks and he's giving his stamp of approval to the very thing that he designed for you and me, the thing that he gifted us with. He's gifted us with this. And so, man, I just challenge us as we're closing out this series, don't be influenced by by culture. And I know that's hard to do. Some people in this room didn't even realize all that stuff was in the Bible. It is. There's a lot more things like that in the Bible like that. Be influenced by God's word. Spend time building each other up and celebrating the fact that there is nobody that knows you at a level like your spouse. And I also know that in a room with this many people, there's probably a lot of people thinking to themselves, that is great. But man, I have really screwed this up. Can I just tell you, that man, we serve the King of Kings. And when Jesus went to that cross for you and me, he went to that cross to redeem you and me back to himself, to do you and me what you and I could never do for ourselves. All of us, maybe your story is you've messed up in this category, but all of us, scripture says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in one way or another. And so Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He became the perfect and the permanent sacrifice for you and me on that cross. He laid down his life for us on that cross. Theologians call it the great exchange. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the very moment that God turned his back on Jesus so that he would never have to turn his back on us. He died, he was buried But on the third day, he rose in all his glory, proving he is who he says he is, and he can do all he said he would do. He came to redeem you and me, and not just for our salvation, but every single area of our lives. If you have messed up in this this department, he wants to redeem that. Call out to him and ask for forgiveness. Make a commitment starting today, moving forward, that you're gonna walk with him 
the way he's designed it. And he'll give you the strength to do that. If you need help, reach out to the pastors of this church and meet with them for biblical counseling. But make a commitment today. And one of the things I love about this church is they're giving you application tools when you leave today. So when you leave today on your way out on the table, there's going to be an envelope for you to pick up. And here's just some questions for you to talk about. They call it the marriage check-in. The marriage check-in. Here are some questions for you to discuss with your spouse today. Just ask them, what's the one thing that you really enjoyed about this week? Like, what was the highlight of your week? The opposite of that, what was the most challenging part? So what was the highlight of your week? What was the low point of your week? Application, what can I do to make your life a little easier moving forward next week? As spouses, we're supposed to be each other's helpmates. What can I do to make next week a little easier? Then get more specific on things. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our sexual intimacy this week? I think this is important to see if y'all are even like in the same page. Husband's like, it was a 24. And the wife was like, a two? Something's off, right? See if you can align those. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our emotional connection? If Again, if you've been here through this whole week, this is a big deal. What we see right here in chapter four, we see Solomon tapping into the emotional connection of his wife. How would you say the emotional connection is with your spouse? On a scale of one to 10, how has your relationship with God been this week? Can I just encourage every single person in here? God needs to be the center of our marriage. God needs to be the center. I know you've probably seen that triangle graph where you got you, you've got your spouse, and at the top you've got God. And if you're both seeking after God, the more you seek after him, the closer you're getting with one another. I love Ecclesiastes, the same author as Song of Songs. He talks about a double-branded cord, double-braided cord is not easily broken. If one falls down, the other can pick the other one up. But how can one stay warm if they're alone? And he says, I'm not done. A three Stranded braided cord, or you're not going to break that. And what he's talking about there with the third braid is God. So put God at the center of your marriage. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your intellectual connection? This, I'm, I would be afraid to ask my wife that one. She's like, you're just a kid. You're always a kid all the time. But how would you relate your intellectual connection? I love this one though, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our friendship and ability to have fun and enjoy each other's company? Are you enjoying each other's company? Are you investing in one another? I hope that you're married to your best friend. And finally, tell me one thing you think that I can improve on that would strengthen our relationship with God with each other and with those in our family. And so they're giving you these tools. This church is giving you these tools to help equip you for a stronger, healthier marriage. It's such a blessing to be here with you this morning. Let me just close us out in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, that we can open up your word and tackle a subject like this because your word has so much to say 
on the matter. God, thank you for a beautiful glimpse today from the pages of the Song of Songs into what biblical intimacy should look like, what it's supposed to look like. And God, I pray that as as couples are, are trying to build one another up like this, God, as they're stumbling and bumbling along the way, God, that you will just extend grace, that you will allow them to have fun with it. And Lord, that you will make these marriages everything that you have designed them to be. God, for anybody who's never taken that step of faith before into a personal relationship with you, to receive that redemption. God, I pray that today is that day. I pray that they will find someone, have a conversation with them and make you Lord of their lives. God, that you'll come into their lives, change them and make them the person you want them to be from the inside out. Thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for what you're doing in the city of Kannapolis through them. Pray you'll continue to have your way in Jesus' name.